From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. Thanks for tuning in and making us part of your day. It's always great to have you with us. Now, there is a lot to cover in the next hour. The House adjourned early this afternoon as Republicans were unable to reach an internal agreement on funding the government. Now, we're going to talk with two House Freedom Caucus leaders who were working with the various elements of the House GOP to find a responsible way forward. We'll talk with the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, Scott Perry, in just a moment. And we're also going to talk to Texas Congressman Chip Roy a little bit later, who was a part of the negotiations. Also, Congressman Roy introduced this week a measure that would repeal the Bill Clinton-era Freedom of Clinic Entrances Act, or FACE Act, as it is known, uh, which uh, has been used to target pro-lifers. This was a conversation in yesterday's hearing. Are you concerned that enforcement of the FACE Act has been biased towards pro-lifers over anti-life protesters 126 to 4 by our count? And we're asking information to be able to track down the information of such prosecutions, but 126 times against pro-lifers versus four times for people who dare to question the issue of life. That was Congressman Roy in the House Judiciary hearing yesterday with Attorney General Merrick Garland. We're going to unpack that a little bit later. Last week, FRC's Travis Weber joined me to unpack the dangerous reauthorization of the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, or PEPFAR, as it's known. It was authorized about 20 years ago. Well, the Biden administration is now using the billions in foreign aid that are contained in the program to advance, yeah, you guessed it, their abortion and LGBTQ priorities. But here's the kicker. There are Republicans who are actually facilitating the reauthorization of the program without, without any pro-life protections attached. New Jersey Congressman Chris Smith, chair of the House Pro-Life Caucus, is here with the details. Also on the international front, this at the United Nations yesterday. The declaration is a strong signal from countries that they are committed to learning the lessons of the COVID-19 pandemic and to strengthening the world's defenses against pandemics. That was the director general of the World Health Organization, WHO, hailing an orchestrated vote at the UN yesterday, saying the vote essentially gives the WHO the green light for their global power grab in May when they want to adopt a universally binding treaty that would, in effect, make them the global pandemic police. We've talked about this. They're moving forward with it. Former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, chair of the FRC board, has been tracking this from the very start, and she's going to join me later. In the good news category, this will no doubt make heads on the left explode. The governor of Mississippi, Tate Reeves, issued a proclamation declaring this week as Christian Heritage Week. He joins us later to talk about it. The website, TonyPerkins.com, resources there for you. Be sure and check it out. And here's something else for you. Go ahead and write this down or put it in your phone. The Capitol switchboard number. Going to need this going forward. Need it today, you're going to need it going forward. 202-224-3121. Remember, I told you, our republic was not made for spectators. It was made for participants. And you need to contact your elected representatives and let them know what you 
believe, what you think, what you want to see happen. Capital switchboard number 202-224-3121. Our word for today comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 8 as he talks about giving. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who had gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Paul is challenging them to make good on a promise to give money to help the impoverished believers in Jerusalem. Notice the equality of God's kingdom. They were giving to help the saints in Jerusalem out of their abundance, and this not only meant the material needs of those in Jerusalem would be met, it met the Corinthians' need to give. The equality in God's kingdom meets the needs of both the giver and the receiver. The same cannot be said for the so-called equality that governments pursue through government socialism. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. As I mentioned, the House adjourned early this afternoon as Republicans could not reach an, an internal agreement on funding the government. Now, government funding ends on September the 30th. What can we expect in the next nine days? Will a compromise emerge that resets out-of-control government spending? Joining me now to discuss this, Congressman Scott Perry. He's the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus and was a part of the negotiations. He also serves on three House committees, including the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability. He represents the 10th Congressional District of Pennsylvania. Uh, Chairman, welcome back to the program. Well, it's great to be with you, Tony. It's a, it's a little wild here in Washington, D.C., but we have actually not adjourned. There is a recess at the call of the chair, so anybody can, uh, can be called back at any moment. And actually, I have some expectation that this evening we will move a rule vote through the Rules Committee to start moving uh, these appropriations bills. There's been a new or a recent breaking uh, uh, breakthrough. And so I think we'll be taking another shot at it. Of course, we have time requirements. We want time to read the bills, and that doesn't change just because you're in a hurry. So we're going to have to abide by that. But uh, we'll see. We, we are not done working on this. We've got our sleeves rolled up, and we're sitting in the, in the room for hours and hours talking to our colleagues. And, and quite honestly, as you, as you rightly put it, Tony, we are we are in discussions and disagreement, unfortunately, in many cases over the spending. But people like me, generally speaking, the Freedom Caucus members are we're, we're, we're tired of seeing our country be bankrupted. Our citizens send all their tax dollars in to spend on things that they don't agree with. And so we have not agreed to and so far have not agreed to the higher spending levels that were agreed to by the House and the Senate this spring. And uh, and so that's the impasse. But maybe we're going to have a breakthrough here shortly. So one of the um, big disappointments today after last night's conference meeting was a vote on the DOD authorization bill, the appropriations bill that uh, failed after there was anticipation that that would pass. The rule for that failed on the floor today. Is that what we're anticipating? Maybe a breakthrough on that uh, before we get to a CR? Well, the uh, the DOD appropri- Defense uh, Department Appropriations Bill, so the money we're going to spend on defense, defense is about 60% of the budget. 
And I know that the many in leadership wanted to move that, and they were given assurances by some that they would vote for the rule. People must have changed their not their minds overnight, and of course that creates a lot of angst. But uh, it's being kind of held as a hostage because once you move 60, 65 percent of the spending, all the rest of them are much easier. And so we're looking for ways to find some cuts. Now, I voted for the rule in good faith that we were going to do what we said we were going to do based on last night's meeting. But there, you know, there's a couple hundred of us here and you never know what happens with each and every one. So maybe someone was betrayed and they felt like it was their only way to to register their discord. But uh, we got right back in the room. I just actually left that room. And I think there's a new process agreement in place, generally speaking. And I think they're going to start working. Well, they already have started working on it. We'll see if there's going to be a rule vote tonight or tomorrow. So, uh, Congressman Perry, I mean, I've talked to some of your colleagues. They were heading to the airport uh, to to fly home. So I'm assuming being in recess that uh, a vote, you're going to have to have at least 24 hours so members can get back to vote. So could we see votes over the weekend? Uh, I think that's somewhat improbable now, at least in the Rules Committee. But understand, once the rules come out, we want 72 hours to read that. So it looks like they're likely won't be any votes over the weekend. But this is Washington, D.C., Tony. You know, as soon as you think something's going to happen, something else happens around here. So I'm reserving judgment, but I want to let you know I'm right here in Washington, D.C. Like I said, I got my sleeves rolled up and we're working with uh, with our colleagues to try and get something done. We think this is critical and this is what we were hired to do. And you got to find a way through it. So Um, I know some of my colleagues apparently have left, but they could literally be called back within the hour. And so I don't I don't necessarily think that's prudent, but um, that's what they're doing. So, uh, Congressman, you talk about your sleeves rolled up. You've had your sleeves rolled up all week. You've been a part of (laughs) negotiating between the conservatives and the not so conservative members of the Republican conference. And it looked like there was a way forward with a top line on a temporary CR leading into appropriations with a top line. That where do we stand with that? Is that going to be the way forward? I, I, it does not appear to be the way at this moment. And I just want to clarify, I never really considered it a continuing resolution because it didn't continue anything. It was actually an 8% cut in current spending. So that, obviously that's not continuing. And on the policy front, we put in there the absolute uh, most righteous border security bill that ever has passed the House of Representatives, which that happened earlier this spring. And we put that on there. So, but apparently uh, some of the members, and I don't fault them, they say, look, you in January and we in January demanded 12 separate appropriations bills, and we shouldn't do anything but 12 appropriations bills. Now, one of the problems with that is it takes some time to do them, and we don't have a lot of time. But these members are saying, that is not my problem. We didn't waste the summer. We didn't waste the, you know, the whole part of the year where we could have yeah. been doing them, so we're going to do them now. And I, I really can't fault them for that because what often happens is we package everything together – we send it over to the Senate. They put more on right. it or change it, and then they send this big blob back to us. And you got to vote for things that you hate to get the things that you want. It we happens. all want to end that. That that's happened time and time again. And I just yeah. want to remind yeah. folks, and you can speak to this. You know, in in January, you were on the program. Uh, others were on the program discussing the uh, process of selecting a speaker. 
And there was a lot of right. angst about going through repeated votes and multiple days. And, and I was saying that I said, look, don't get upset. Don't get worried. You know, it's it, this is actually good. It's healthy for the process. I think this is healthy. I think this if we don't have individuals standing up and saying we're not going to keep doing things the way we've been doing it, right. we've got to change it. If we don't do that, we'll never change it. You're exactly right, Tony. And that's what this is all about. It's been a very constructive, although sometimes difficult conversation. But if we don't change it, we're going to set to do the exact same thing, which has spent our country into bankruptcy. And so we're looking for a way to get through that right now and, and have our colleagues actually vote on some spending cuts. But I will tell you, Tony, the money that we're spending, we're getting to the point where these decisions are very, very difficult, which we all knew over time we were going to get here. You can't simply keep on spending money that you don't have, and it has gone on for decades around here. And and, and the fruits of that are now finally, unfortunately, ripe to be right. picked, and they are uh, they were a, they are a sour taste. You're absolutely right, uh, Scott Perry. Thanks for joining us. Very quickly, 15 seconds. How can people yeah. be praying into this situation oh. in the hours and days ahead? I think they need to be praying for us to have wisdom, but also to have. Uh, some uh, some consideration for our fellow person, but also for our country, because these are very, very difficult decisions. But we need the good Lord to we need his hand on our shoulder, guiding us so that it is to his glory. And they should pray for that patience and that wisdom. And we will do just that. Uh, Congressman Scott Perry, thanks so much for joining us. Always great to talk with you. Thank you, Tony. God bless you. So, folks, I do want to encourage you to be praying. I know we get uh, we get uh, angry, we get uh, concerned. I do think this is healthy for the process. It is kind of nerve-wracking at times for some, but we need to be praying. All right. On the other side of the break, Congressman Chris Smith joins me. Don't go away. A lot more Washington Watch ahead. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Thursday. Again, uh, let me give you a capital switchboard number, 202-224-3121, 202-224-3121, where you can weigh in with your member of Congress and your two senators on any of the topics we talk about. All right, as I've discussed on this program, the president's emergency plan for AIDS relief, it's also known as PEPFAR, was launched two decades ago and has been credited with saving more than 25 million lives. But the Biden administration, the most pro-abortion administration in our nation's history, and that is um, without hesitation, I can say that. They're using the billions of dollars designated to address HIV AIDS to also promote abortion internationally. They're still addressing AIDS. But they're giving it to organizations that promote abortion and even agitate for the changing of laws in many of these African countries that are very pro-life. Joining me now for an update on this, Congressman Chris Smith, who was the primary author of the original PEPFAR congressional bill, the bill, uh, and has also led the reauthorization efforts. He serves on the House Committee on Foreign Affairs. He's also the co-chair of the Tom Lantos Human Rights Commission, and he is the chair of the House Pro-Life Caucus. Joining me now is uh, Chris Smith. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Tony, thank you so very much uh, for having me on. And thank you for your excellent work on all issues relating to family life, the unborn, uh, including this fight we're in on PEPFAR. Well, you know, I I was here when it was uh, first authorized. Uh, You led the effort on that. And it was, uh, you know, addressed AIDS. It helped these African countries. But it's been kind of twisted over the years, especially under the Biden administration. And this why this is why Congress reauthorizes these things so that if they get off track, it can be addressed. And that's what you've been trying to do by attaching provisions that would simply say, if you're saying the money's not being used to advance abortion, then just put these uh, guardrails on and we'll all be fine. Yes, we're calling their bluff in a sense. Uh, they keep saying 
PEPFAR does not promote abortion. While all of the literature and the experience we're hearing and the, the, um, the field reports is that they have integrated abortion on-demand promotion with HIV AIDS work, just like the World Health Organization has done it, the UN AIDS Organization, and all of the UN agencies and International Planned Parenthood Federation, uh, which is based in London, the, the global group. Uh, they have said, integrate the promotion of abortion simultaneously and working with HIV AIDS. That's not what we signed up for. Uh, when we pushed the HIV AIDS legislation, as you know, uh, and George W. Bush was, it was, you know, it was his, one of his great initiatives back in 2003. Henry Hyde was the prime sponsor of the first one. I was the prime sponsor of the reauthorization uh, some five years ago. Uh, we made it very clear, this is all about making people healthier and preventing that very, very uh, lethal uh, disease called HIV AIDS. Uh, that said, what does Biden do? He hijacks it all. Uh, we have some people um, within our party, particularly on the Senate side, and some people who used to be members of the U.S. Senate and others uh, who are pro-life, who are saying, just do a clean reauthorization for three or five years uh, of this legislation. That would, a so-called clean, in other words, no language of significance like the Mexico City policy, uh, means that we're just rubber stamping and just putting our imprimatur on it or, or just saying very clearly, we endorse what President Biden has done. It's outrageous what Biden has done. He's doing it everywhere, as you know. Uh, he's doing it with the VA, the Veterans Affairs, uh, making clinics provide abortions. What is that all about? I used to chair the Veterans Affairs Committee. Uh, those clinics and those hospitals are all about life saving, not life taking. And now he's done it with this program as well. So this historically has enjoyed um, broad bipartisan support. And, and, and it would if it stayed focused on its stated mission, and that is to deal with HIV right. AIDS. So as you pointed out, this administration is no secret. Every, almost every aspect of foreign policy has been promoting what I call the unholy uh, trinity. Uh, and that is abortion, LGBTQ, and climate. And, and so they're hijacking these funds, and still they're doing the mission, but it's going to these organizations that often agitate for changing of laws as it pertains to abortion. It funds these pro-abortion organizations in countries like Africa. You've, you've met with many of these foreign leaders. They don't like this cultural uh, imperialism that the U.S. is pushing on them. Uh, it's even worse than not liking. They hate it. They do not want abortion on demand in their country. They do not want the, the entirety of the LGBTQ agenda, which is being foisted upon them. By what? The large, very uh, effective, and I say that with regret, uh, large non-governmental organizations that take the taxpayer funds and its grant money, and they promote these, these anti-life uh, pro-abortion policies. And, you know, it's across the board. You know, IPPF, Planned Parenthood. I think we... Parenthood, they have a strategy that takes us to 2020. Great HIV AIDS work with abortion. Uh, Chris, very quickly, give us where this stands right now and what our li listeners and viewers can WHO do. is pushing model legislation. Sure. <clears throat> well, uh, Mario Diaz-Balart, uh, the chairman of the Foreign Ops Appropriations Committee, wrote an excellent bill that continues PEPFAR for one year 
one year, 2024, uh, but it has the Mexico City policy, which was originally crafted by Ronald Reagan, uh, because we found that the existing Helms Amendment, which is still in existence, was not strong enough. Contact your House member, contact your senators. I mean, Senator Lindsey Graham, for example, is now pushing a clean reauthorization of PEPFAR. You know what that means? We endorse everything Biden has done. No, we want to fight this year and a multi-year, three to five year uh, authorization will take us into the next administration, which God willing will be a Republican administration. And then when that president goes to put the Mexico City policy as Trump did on these programs, any existing contract would be exempt. So if there's a multi-year authorization for all of this, for PEPFAR, uh, we will not be able to reopen those contracts. And if I were Biden, as I'm going out the door, I would just make sure that every one of these contracts uh, are multi-year, right. and we will have, so that, they can't we'll be have a touched. clear victory. It can't be touched. Congressman Chris Smith, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us, and we're going to ask our listeners and viewers to lean in on this. Tony, thank you. We need, and you've been so so effective in promoting and raising the profile of this issue, and I, I can't be thankful enough. I appreciate it. All right, folks, stick with us. The governor of Mississippi joins us next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash pro-life men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. All right, I told you, you need that capital switchboard number, 202-224-3121. Also at TonyPerkins.com, we've got links to each of our speakers, or our guests, I should say, and uh, the topics they're covering. All right, with all of the craziness taking place in our country, and we've talked about some of it here today, and we've got more to come. 
maybe it's time we recenter on True North by being reminded of our heritage. And we're actually finding a number of elected leaders doing just that, bringing our attention back to our history, our heritage, and what made us at one point a great nation. Well, this week, to celebrate the rich cultural legacy of the Christian faith, the state of Mississippi will celebrate Christian Heritage Week September the 24th through the 30th to recognize Christianity's influence on their state and our nation. Joining me now to discuss this is the governor of Mississippi, Tate Reeves. Governor, welcome back to the program. Good afternoon, Tony. How are you today? I'm doing quite well. Thank you. So this will be Mississippi's 29th Christian Heritage Week. Tell us why you believe this is important for the citizens of Mississippi to recognize our Christian heritage. Well, I think it, uh, it speaks to exactly what you talked about in the, the lead-up to this conversation, and that is uh, the fact that it is our Christian heritage, it is the, the principles upon which our country was founded, um, is what has made our country uh, the greatest nation in the history of mankind. And certainly those of us in Mississippi are proud of our Christian heritage. Uh, we're, we believe in our heart that that is what has made our state uh, the, the wonderful place it is to to invest capital, to create jobs, and to raise a family. It's it's really um, those Christian values. And, and, and to be honest with you, um, when you think about all the craziness that's happening in the world today, um, I think we need more elected leaders that are willing to stand up and, and not only proclaim uh, that we're celebrating Christian Heritage Week, but talk a little bit about what that means and talk about what our Christian faith means to us uh, as elected leaders and, and how we ultimately get to the decision-making process um, based upon our, our Christian values. Uh, I could not agree with you more, Governor. I think you've done that quite well. You've done it on, the, on this program uh, many times. It's also been evident in your policies that you've put forth in the state of Mississippi. Uh, your declaration of Christian Heritage Week specifically honors many of the founding fathers for their Christian faith. Now, the, the, uh, the, the left wants to ignore or forget the faith of those who came uh, before us. But, you know, these are the ones who built this country, all right? And they, they crafted what has become the longest-running written constitution agreement uh, on the earth. And so they, we ought to listen to them. They may know something about how we can repair this thing and keep it going. Well, there's no, no question about that. When you look at what was written in the uh, Declaration of Independence, you look at what was written uh, in our United States Constitution, and it is very clear that way back um, uh, 250 years ago, there was a concerted effort to recognize that uh, the Christian values upon which this country was founded um, was founded upon those values for a reason, because if we're going to uh, celebrate Christ and celebrate our faith uh, and and import it in the way in which we not only live our lives but the way in which we govern ourselves, it's it's critical to um, a long-standing uh, opportunity for success as a nation. And they believe that they wrote it in those documents. And there are those on the left now that, as you just mentioned, that not only do they want to forget that it ever happened, they want to pretend like it didn't happen. And and that's just 
um, and it's it's not the right direction for the country. It's certainly not what the vast majority of Mississippians believe. And because of that, we're standing up and we're going to say, hey, you can do whatever you want to do in California or New York. But in Mississippi, we're not only going to proclaim Christian Heritage Week, we're going to celebrate it. And we're going to talk about these things that we believe and the reason we think uh, we we have the opportunity to live in the greatest state and the greatest, greatest nation in the history of mankind. I think it's great. And that reason is because of the values uh, upon which the country was founded, and we still celebrate here. I, I think it's great. I know that the, the heads on left on the left are exploding. But how would you like to see the citizens of Mississippi recognize this week? Well, look, what what I believe uh, needs to happen is that we, as followers of Christ, need to continue to. Um, spread the message and to try to save those who are unsaved, that we should talk about uh, the blessings of eternal life and, and what that faith means to us and, and, and how um, our, our belief system and our values are based upon the writings in the Bible. And not only should we live our life that way every single day, we shouldn't just do it, by the way, next week during uh, Christian Heritage Week, we should do it every single week. And and um, I tell folks uh, all the time that it is so important that we recognize that we live our life uh, based upon the principles that we learn about in the Bible and, and that we work to spread that message across certainly our state and our nation, but across the globe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Governor, I, I want to thank you. Uh, for issuing this proclamation, but I want to thank you for not just this one proclamation, but for you doing exactly what you just described here in your policies, in your practices there in the state of Mississippi. Always great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Y'all have a great afternoon and evening, Tony. Always good to be on. It's great to have you as a friend. All right. Thank you. Governor Tate Reeves of Mississippi, a neighbor to Louisiana. Okay. This is, uh, all right, get, make sure you've got your phone number for the Capitol switchboard again, because you're going to want to call somebody. We're going to be talking about the WHO, the World Health Organization. Yep, trying to grab more power. That's next. Don't go away. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org.
Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded communities. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories, and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged. Be in the know. And stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. Full devotion. Washington Watch, good to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. Again, the Capital Switchboard number 202 224 31 21. The United Nations General Assembly gathered this week in New York City, and yesterday's schedule included a heads of state summit on pandemic preparedness. That alone should uh, cause alarm bells to go off. Well, in that, the World Health Organization, the WHO, orchestrated a vote of the General Assembly on a non-binding declaration that appears to be to have been designed to build momentum for the WHO's global power grab that they have planned in May when they want to adopt a universally binding treaty that would make them the global pandemic police in effect. Joining me now to discuss this, Michelle Bachman. She served in Congress for eight years and is now the dean of the Robertson School of Government at Regent University. During her time in Congress, she served on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, and she's been tracking the WHO and this pandemic treaty from the start. Dean Bachman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, great to be with you today on this important topic. Yeah, it, it, no news. I mean, there was no, no, no news. Uh, the only thing you could see on this were press releases from the United Nations and, uh, and others who were supporting this. Give us the latest on what took place tomorrow and how this kind of fits into their plan of this uh, for this global power grab. 
Right. Well, the timetable was set out in May of this year that at this assembly this week, there would be a historic first time ever summit on global pandemic preparedness. And that summit was yesterday. And so the plan, the pre-baked plan, is that a resolution would be passed by all of the 194 member nations. The only thing is the UN encountered a major problem because on Sunday, Seven, I'm sorry, on Sunday, uh, se Sunday, September 17th, 11 nations wrote a letter, a formal letter saying that they would not go along with this um, resolution that was intended to be passed this week. The resolution was brought up early on Wednesday at the beginning of this summit. However, it didn't actually get a vote. The president of the UN for this week uh, issued a press release that said that we've passed this resolution. It wasn't passed. They issued the resolution. And so these 11 nations that objected um, stopped the process from going forward. And so now the General Assembly of the UN would have to come back and actually take a vote. If there are member nations who object then the resolution can't go forward. This is absolutely historic. International law professor, uh, Dr. Francis Bo uh, Boyle said that this was a historic fail for the globalists at the UN yesterday. This is actually a victory for those who've been tracking this issue, but we need to know that the globalists are loaded for bear and they, implant, they plan to have the global pandemic treaty and the international health rules changed in less than one year, next May in Geneva, Switzerland. So we have to stay on top of this. But yesterday was good news as far as I'm concerned. It's the first time we've seen nations object formally. And they objected in a written letter that was directed to the president of the United Nations. And so that's on paper. It's written. And these resolutions go into force and effect. If no one objects, they go into a force and effect. But 11 nations objected. So that was a huge win, and I'm extremely grateful for what happened. But to to have greater effect, they're going to have to oppose what takes place in May when they're actually voting on the treaty, will they not? Well, what they did was in writing, and that's very important. These 11 nations signed their nation's name. They're in writing. They objected. They objected in a letter, and that's that's that has a high force and effect. But again, we're going to have to see nations object to the final document that will be presented. This was just a resolution, Tony. That's right. what all this was. It was a terrible resolution. It would it called for um, handing over national sovereignty of all nations to the United Nations on a plethora of topics. So this is not something they, we want to do. But this was just meant to be a PR right. win. They've and the kind UN of... didn't get the PR win. They've made this process very complicated in terms of the multiple, you know, meetings and pronouncements. And it's it's very difficult for people to track because there's really two things moving here at one time. But as you said, this was more of a 
I, I think orchestrating a PR event that went bad yeah. for them yesterday. Yeah, it went it went badly. They were they were caught with egg on their faces because they tried to pretend that all nations went on along with this resolution when in fact they didn't. What they did is they drew out the dissenters. That had never happened before. When I was in Geneva, Switzerland in May at the Global World Health Assembly, uh, no nation registered their dissent formally. They didn't they didn't register dissent on Twitter anywhere. So it appeared that all nations were going along with this. That's exactly what the UN wanted. They wanted to present a unified face yesterday. They didn't get it. They got a smackdown when they got this letter on Sunday, September 17th, saying, we, the 11 aforementioned countries below, do not agree to this. We don't like the way you're negotiating this thing. And they laid out four criterion that they objected to. So at this point, the UN has a problem in their hands because they have dissenters in the ranks. This is good. Now I invite more nations to wake up. I invite our congressmen, our United States senators to wake up. We now have paper, we have words on paper that tell us what the Biden administration is pushing. And they're pushing nothing less than transferring national decision-making authority, national sovereignty over healthcare decisions and more away from the United States, away from the Congress, Congress quite frankly, away from President Biden, quite frankly, and handing it over to the United Nations. It doesn't get bigger than this. So people need to call their representatives. They need to call their United States senators and say, wake up, look at what's happening at the United Nations. We don't want what President Biden is pushing. We don't want to give up national sovereignty over declaring a national emergency over pandemics to the UN. That'd be the worst thing that we could possibly do. So people need to act now. This is really unprecedented in even the United Nations. They've never, they've basically been an advisory body that has, you know, gotten in the way. But this would literally give them the power to declare a global emergency based upon a pandemic. And what's, what they've done along the way, and you've been tracking this, is they've rolled everything into it. It had, they added reproductive health care, climate, You know, any number of things could trigger what they call a global crisis, giving them the power to tell states, member states, what to do. Well, you're right, Tony, because it's a bait and switch like they like the U.N. usually does. But what they're saying is, oh, this is all about giving us power to have power over the pandemics. Well, that would be worse and not bad enough because the WHO was wrong at every turn on the last pandemic. Why would we give them more power? But it's worse than that. It's exactly what you said. It would include if they don't like the way a country is dealing with LGBT issues or abortion or poverty or climate change, they could weigh in. But it's even worse than that. They included more population control, uh, what they call One Health. If they think that maybe a snail darter isn't being treated right, then they could declare power over that nation. In other words, Tony, this document is trying to pretend that it's dealing with the pandemics. It's actually a subterfuge for global government. So people have got to wake up. Congress has got to wake up. This this will create, for the first time in history, global government, real power at the, the UN. And this, we've got to oppose it. And we've got the, to oppose it quickly. We can't wait till May. We've got to oppose it now. This is like right out of Revelation. Yes, that's right. It is. This is, it is. God this, has told us what was coming. 
We are living in the last days and we have an opportunity to oppose this. So we've got to melt the phone lines in Washington, D.C. now. Yeah. All right. We're on it. Michelle Bachman, always great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tony. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, Great lady. Look, this, it's got to be stopped. This is global governance. I mean, I've read through it and I've watched the process. And, and I know that there's all these things swirling out there and it's hard to, to know what to believe. But the media is not tracking it. The Biden administration is silent about it. Look at what they're saying. Look at what the people themselves are saying. This is about grabbing power. Global governance. 202-223121. Stop the WHO. All right, we're going to be we're going to stay on this. We are going to stay on this. All right. We're going to uh, I, I told you I wanted to uh, go back to kind of what's happening in the House and the fact that we had this hearing yesterday. We talked about uh, uh, the Attorney General Merrick Garland's testimony before the House Judiciary Committee yesterday, his evasive answers. But in particular, uh, his uh, response to Congressman Chip Roy of Texas talking about the FACE Act, the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, that has been used to target pro-lifers. Well, joining me now to talk about this is the congressman himself, Congressman Chip Roy of Texas. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Great to be on, Tony. Hope you're doing well. Uh, Well, I'm I'm actually probably a little uh, more rested than you are. It's been a busy week. We had uh, Scott Perry on earlier saying that There's possibly a breakthrough in the negotiations uh, over government funding. You want to give us the latest? Yeah, I'm actually sitting in uh, the WHIP's office and Tom Member's office in the basement of the Capitol right now. We're trying to work through uh, a path forward on moving the individual appropriations bills, uh, general agreement on a top line number. Now we're trying to work through a path to stack and rack, basically, and get these things moved through and get the amendments done, get them to the Rules Committee. Uh, it's going to be a tall order. I don't know if we can get all 12 done, but I think we can get a whole lot done, which might set the stage for heading into next weekend, having sent a lot of important bills uh, out of the House. But, you know, look, as you know, Tony, look, it's a razor thin majority. Uh, when my friend Thomas Massey once pointed out that 99 percent of us in the Republican conference agree and only 99 percent are present, which we've had a few injuries and some health issues. Uh, we don't have we have about 217 votes. So we we got some work to do. And uh, we're working through it. Uh, but the most important thing is we got to cut spending, we got to secure the border, and we got to pull back and use these riders to cut some of the things you were just talking about. And Michelle Bach, like the World Health Organization, some of these ridiculous organizations undermining our sovereignty. And so that's one of the things we were literally just talking about a half an hour ago about how to move those things. Well, Congressman, I, I want to commend you uh, and your conservative colleagues in the Freedom Caucus. You're in the Freedom Caucus, but you've been working with the not so conservative members to try to to work forward with a path that actually changes the way we do business. And I understand negotiations, give and take. You don't always get what everything you want. But I, I commend you for, for leaning in and, and working hard on this. I, I was telling our viewers and listeners earlier, you know, look, I, back in January when we were all this consternation over the speaker's race, it's a good process. It got us to a better place. This is going to get us to a better place as well. No, I think you're right, Tony. I mean, look, this is part of the making sausage, as they say. And uh, I wish we had been doing this more in July. I don't think we should have broken in August. Uh, I think this should, you know, we should be farther down the line. But, you know, you you guys remember doing papers in high school or college or sometimes, you you know, sometimes your best work is done at the 11th hour because the pressure's on and you got to focus. So 
We're doing everything we can. Um, I don't believe we should be leaving town. Uh, right now, we're in recess. We have not adjourned. Uh, some of us said we, we would object and we should not adjourn. Um, we might adjourn for the night, but uh, we're not adjourning uh, into the weekend yet. So uh, many of us are here. The Rules Committee will probably meet tomorrow. We'll try to move some stuff forward, but we're still working on it. All right. Uh, so quickly, before we run out of time, the FACE Act, you have introduced yeah. legislation to repeal this. It was dormant for, you know, almost very rarely used until the Biden administration. It has been a weapon to go after pro-lifers. Yeah, no question. In fact, yesterday, as you noted, in the uh, Judiciary Committee hearing in which Merrick Garland appeared, uh, besides avoiding all the questions on Weiss and what's going on with Hunter Biden, he refused to talk to me and answer the questions any meaningful way about Scott Smith, the you know father in Loudoun County, and uh, the abuses he was experiencing, being labeled a domestic terrorist, and he refused to say that they would rescind their memo. But importantly, on your point, the FACE Act, Mark Houck, right, uh, in Philadelphia, one example of many, uh, where he was being targeted. Uh, the local authorities declined to pursue because they realized it was such a weak uh, argument or case and he hadn't done anything wrong. And then the feds come in and then they indict him. And, you know, the jury acquits him after two hours, you know, and, and I pressed the attorney general, what are you doing? And, and by the way, of all of the prosecutions under the FACE Act, 126 were against lifers. Four, four were against uh, people that were uh, contrary to life or pro-choice, whatever you want to say. So, you know, it's clear the bias. Uh, I think we ought to repeal it. Uh, I want to make sure that some of the, the, the protections in there for churches, that we make sure there's statutory angles that we can go. But we need to repeal it uh, and then uh, stop giving authority to the Department of Justice to be able to go after people like Mark Houck. Or even there's a very liberal group, a progressive pro-life group, uh, and they, they've been prosecuted and sentenced uh, and they're facing sentencing to be in jail uh, because of some of the things that they've been a part of, and they right. have an FBI and you know infiltrate them. This is wrong. This is not what we should have the uh, federal government doing. Well, and I and I appreciate you uh, taking the lead on addressing this issue because we've seen all of these uh, pro life centers and churches attacked. Nothing happening to them, but pro lifers right. they've got a they've got a target on them. Congressman Chip Roy, always great to see you. Uh, good luck. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Tony. God bless. All right, Congressman Chip Roy of uh, Texas. All right, we'll continue to track the funding. Uh, by the way, here's an action item for you on the WHO. I do have a petition calling on Congress to defund them. Simply text WHO, WHO to 67742. That's 67742, and you can sign that petition. We're going to stay on this. Thanks so much for being with us on this Thursday. And until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 